Years ago, when I was new to Rock Hill, I remember one Sunday morning in the church downtown, and many of you will remember we had three sections of pews. And there was a young man sitting in the section that would have been to my left or your right on the end of the pew adjacent to the aisle. He was in his 20s. I can still see him. And he was wearing an earring, which in the late 80s was, you know, relatively new for guys to do. It was time for the offering, just like we did a moment ago. And the ushers were walking down the aisle carrying the offering plates to begin taking the offering. And I still remember one usher. Now, this is like 27 years ago walking down the aisle, and when he came to that young man, he had spotted him already. And he sort of bent over, stared at his earring with a frown of anger all over his face, and then continued to the altar for an offertory prayer and passing the offering plate, taking up an offering that the Bible says is holy unto God. The image was powerful enough that 27 years later, I still remember it. What struck me was that while doing something that is holy and ritualistic in worship, in his heart, there was no compassion for that young man. There was only ridicule and judgment because he was wearing an earring. We've all known people like that, haven't we? People who on the outside do the right things, are religious, active at church, do the ritual things, but in their heart something's missing. Something's wrong. Compassion is lacking. There's often a, a lack of kindness to anyone different or with whom they disagree. We've all known people like that. Sometimes, can we be honest, we've been those people in certain moments of life. And then there's the other example. People who have a really good heart, very kind and compassionate, and their faith is very emotional. They wear it on their sleeves, and they're very expressive. And, and they'll cry in church and they'll, they'll cry at a story and they're easily touched and easily moved and, and, and they talk about loving Jesus. But they can't ever seem to get their act together. Their lives don't match their emotions. They, they're, they're making bad moral decisions. They... they they don't have their priorities right in, in terms of materialism and, 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 and giving. And, and the church can't really count on them because they're hit and miss. And if we're honest, there have been times we've been like that. How many times have you felt guilty or emotional about something and thought, I, I'm going to do this or change that only to keep doing what you've always done? We've, we've all been there, haven't we, at times? See, Jesus teaches the Jesus we're celebrating at Christmas this year 
that, that our lives are to match our heart and our heart is to match our lives. That, that outwardly we are to live right and do right and inwardly we are to be right. And that includes our attitudes toward people and our hearts and our compassion. To be right with God, to be right with people, to be right with the church. I want you to notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, It's a tough way to begin a statement, isn't it? At least eight times in this chapter, Jesus said to the Pharisees, Woe to you, hypocrites, starting back at verse 13 and going through verse 29. In fact, most of this chapter is dedicated to this issue. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Why? For you tithe, or the NIV will say you give a tenth, which that's what a tithe is. It's 10%. It's the first tenth of something. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, various spices that were used uh, in medicine, herbs that were used in medicine and in cooking and so on, just like we would today. He said you tithe all those things, but you have neglected or bypassed or not done the weightier things, the heavier things, or some Bibles translate it, the more important things, the weightier provisions of the law. What are those? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And the same passage in Luke's gospel adds love of God, love for God. So there are four things. These are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. He said, you should have done it all. The tithing of the, of the spices and, and then these, what he calls here, weightier things, bigger things, more important things. In your notes and on the screen are the words in Luke eleven forty two, where Jesus essentially is saying the same thing. Woe to you Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and then rue a, a, a different, very a, a, a spice that has a lot of odor and scent to it and can even be bitter at times. Uh, and every kind of garden herb. So whatever herbs you like, whatever spices you like, they grew, and they would have tithed on those as well. And yet you disregard justice, same things mentioned in Matthew, but here he adds love of God. These things, these are the things you should have done, and again, without neglecting the others. Pretty powerful comment from Jesus. So what's going on? Well, the Pharisees religiously had it together. You could count on them. If, if, if they were a member of a local New Testament church in, in, in 2015, the church would be able to depend on them. They would be there. If there was something going on at church, they'd show up. The church could count on them to give, to tithe. They were, they were very meticulous in, in their giving of 10% of all they had to God and to the temple and so on. Very meticulous when it, when it came to all of that. They obeyed all the rules. Outwardly, they were, they were good, good religious Jews. Outwardly, they had it together. They, they followed the rules. Whatever the expectations of, of culture and church were, they met them. But on the inside, they didn't have it together. 
On the inside, they struggled to have compassion for people who didn't have it together outwardly the way they did. If someone didn't do what they thought they should do, if someone didn't look like they thought they should look, if someone didn't act like they thought they should act, they didn't know how to show that person compassion. And they wouldn't treat the person right, wouldn't treat the person fair. That's what Jesus is talking about when he speaks of justice and mercy in this particular passage. Now, when it, when it came to the tithing, they were very meticulous because the Old Testament speaks about tithing, and here Jesus affirms that they should have done it. It's, it's, it's the right thing to do. But let's look at what he said, what the Bible says in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 14. He said, you shall surely tithe or give 10% of all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. The tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, firstborn of your herd and flock, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So you give 10% of whatever increase you have from any particular source. Now look at Leviticus 27 verse 30. He said, Thus all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or the fruit of the tree is the Lord's, and it is holy to the Lord. Now in Jewish culture, what they tended to enforce was tithing on your, your harvest, your, your grain, uh, your 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 uh, your olive trees, which they produce their their oil from, wine, etc., flocks, sheep, etc. But they didn't tend to worry about all those herbs, the little things. Okay, it wasn't expected. It wasn't taught that hey, you need to tie if you if you grow. Um, what, what's one of your? Everybody, just tell me in, in, at one time. Just think about what's your favorite spice. Just shout it out. What's your favorite spice? Rosemary? Really? I like it too. I'm sorry. I'm kidding. I like to use spices when I cook. Many of you do too. I have a whole big old rack that covers one whole door in my kitchen that I use. Monisa's over in Germany. I spice my chicken and I spice some zucchini and, and uh, something else that I can't remember right now last night when I fixed it. I'm just, I just, just experiment. Just pour that stuff on it. Well, when they would grow their herb gardens, the Pharisees took the biblical teaching about tithing on everything that grows in the fields. They took it so seriously, and they were so meticulous about it, they not only tithed on their grain, not only tithed on the flock, not only tithed from the olive, uh, the, the olive trees, they, they tithed on their herbs. So whatever little spice, whatever little herb they grew, they would take 10% of it. And give it away. Give it, give it, give it to the Lord. Very faithful. Very, you could count on them. I mean, if we had a church full of, of of people like them, we wouldn't be very loving, but we'd always meet our budget. They were they were great at that. The church expectations, the ritual stuff, really really good at it. Many of you tithe. Monis and I have always tithed. We give beyond the tithe. Some of you give beyond the tithe. Our staff will get their Christmas bonuses this week. I'll tithe on that Christmas bonus. That's that little extra. You know, I'll tithe on that. And, and, and that's also where most of our giving to our world mission offering comes from. So whatever you give me for a Christmas bonus, you get most of it back. Many of you are very generous and we need to be. We're supposed to be. It's expected. It's the right 
thing. But even though the Pharisees were generous and they gave, Jesus still called them hypocrites. And he said, woe to them. In fact, in another passage, Jesus said to his audience and to you and me that if our righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees, we'll not see the kingdom of heaven. In verse 23, he said, you do all these things that are right, but you neglect bigger things. Weightier things, heavier things, more important things like justice, mercy, faithfulness, and in Luke's gospel, love for God. See, one of the easier things in life as a religious person is to follow rules. That's easy. To to do the ritual things, that's easy. That's the easiest way to be a religious person. but to allow God to take our hearts and change them. To to take our hearts and make them more like Jesus' heart. That's, That's a bigger thing. That's a harder thing, a more important thing, a more God honoring, Christ like, holy thing. And and the truth is, if God's genuinely got my heart and your heart, He's got everything else, including my money. I won't have to worry about it. It won't be a debate. It won't be a discussion. But God cares about our heart. And, And in particular, how we love Him and how we love others because that's what passage is talking about when he when he talks about justice and mercy is how we treat people when, when he talks about faithfulness and love for God it's how we treat God and elsewhere both in the Old Testament and the New Testament Jesus said what love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind strength etc and then love others like you love yourself it's the same thing justice we understand it in legal terms that, that people are to get a fair shake in court, right? Because you treat people right. You treat them with integrity and honesty and, and you're fair. And this word means that, but it also means justice in our own daily living, our relationships, how we deal with people. So when you have too much money given back to you by the store clerk, justice is making it right, not keeping it and saying, well, it's their problem. Justice is not keeping what you borrow from your neighbor. Justice is how you talk about somebody. It's how you treat people in your daily life. Mercy is is, is having compassion, particularly for people at a point of need or people who are struggling or, or people who are hurting, having compassion and, and, and being kind. How many times do we read in the Gospels that when Jesus saw people hurting, whether it was Martha and Mary at the tomb of their brother Lazarus or the, the, the crowd that was spiritually lost, the Bible says Jesus groaned on the inside 
It says he was moved with compassion both at someone's grief and at their spiritual lostness. Do we have compassion for people who are lost? Do you have compassion for a young man whose life is messed up? Do, do, you have compa- do you have room in your heart for compassion and kindness to someone who's making one wrong choice after another wrong choice? If, isn't that what the cross is? Jesus looking at you and me and saying, you're messed up. You've made one wrong choice after another, after another, after another. You're a sinner and you're condemned to hell. But I have compassion for you. I have kindness toward you. Now you be like me, he says. In verse 24, he said, you blind guides, because they were religious leaders guiding people. And you don't have it together yourself. You strain at a gnat, or strain out a gnat, more literally and accurately. You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. What's he talking about? A couple of things. You know, the Jews had all these rules and so on about what they could and could not eat. Both the gnat and camel were considered unclean. So if they swallowed a gnat or ate camel meat, they would be unclean spiritually. Didn't want to do that. Also, gnats were a problem in their part of the world. Still are in much of the Middle East. And every time they would drink wine or another drink, they would strain it to catch all those little gnats. Some of you, like me, you've been on a farm. You you know what it is to strain milk? You you know what it is to strain some drink, right? So they'd strain their wine, their drink, and they'd get out all those little gnats. The little bit, the little ones, the little things that you can barely see. He said, you're meticulous about that. The little things. What's the little things? The tithing. But in the process, you swallow a camel. You miss the big thing. It's another way, it's, a, it's, it's an analogy, a metaphor for what he's talking about. With Hey, you, you get the ritual right, but you miss the heart. The outside looks good, but the inside's not right. There's another passage in the, in the Gospels where Jesus said that the person who is faithful in what is least will be faithful in much, but if you're not faithful in what is little, you won't be faithful in what is much. In that passage, do you know what Jesus says the little thing the least is? How you deal with money. You're giving, you're tithing. He said, that's the least I can trust you to be faithful with. And if you can't be faithful with that, why should I trust you with even bigger things, more important things? See, we get it backwards. Do you know what hypocrisy does? Hypocrisy reverses, inverts everything Jesus says, and we make it like the money is the big thing. Jesus said, no, that's the little thing. You've got to get that right first. But you can't. Allow the fact that you've got that right to be an excuse for not getting the really big, important things right of how you treat people and how you treat God. And the reverse is also true. You may have all kinds of emotion and be kind and nice, but if you don't get the little things right, you're still not right. 
It's not either or. It's both. It's heart and life, inside and outside. It's all of us. All, what's that song? All of me. All of me. <laughs> you get that? All of me. Now Luke adds love for God. Jesus in Matthew says faithfulness, which is loyalty to God, keeping our promises, keeping our commitments, which speaks to those among us who were really emotional about our faith, but we're just so inconsistent and so hit and miss. And, And what Jesus is looking for is more than just emotions. He's looking for dependability. Consistency. I mean, what kind of marriage do you have if you're all emotional and crying, I love you, but you can't be counted on as a husband? You can't be counted on as a wife. What kind of marriage is that? Not a very good one, is it? What kind of Christianity is it if we're all emotional and we love Jesus, but we can't be counted on? We're not faithful. And love for God? Love for God is how we feel, but it's also more than how we feel. It's it's our motivation. When when was the last time you got on your face before God and you you just told him, I love you, Lord? And, and does your choices and, 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 and the way you live reflect genuine love for God? You see, if we want to honor Jesus at Christmas, we need to do more than put a certain ornament on our tree. That's ritual. That's nice. I do that. That's, that's ritual. That's good. But loving Jesus is a whole lot more than how we decorate our house or what Christmas cards we choose to send someone. Those are good. But loving him is a lot more than that. Isn't it? Now, notice, with the Pharisees in particular, Jesus said, guys, you've been bypassing, neglecting, ignoring, missing, not doing the big things of, of, of treating God right and treating people right. You got the little things, the tithing right, but you get the big things wrong. And what he said is, You were right to do the little things. You were right to tithe. Should have done that. But you should have also done the big things because being ritual, being religious, even to the point of tithing, is not an excuse for not treating people well. And not loving God with all your heart. Because God wants all of us. The little and the big. Now, why, why does God put in the scripture about tithing and being generous? Well, let's go back and look at part of what he said in Leviticus 27, verse 30. Okay, Leviticus 27, 30. Look, look it says, why? Because it is holy to the Lord. Why? Because it belongs to God. And, and the truth is, the Bible teaches the whole earth is his. Everything is his. And when you and I tithe that 10%, it's our way of saying, God, we get it. We recognize that all of this and all of me belongs to you. There's recognition of that. And when we don't give, we don't tithe, it's like we're saying, God, I'm not recognizing that. God, I don't honor you as the owner of me. 
I own it. You don't, God. Hands off. So one, one reason is to keep in our mind and in our hearts the proper perspective on life and this universe. Look at what he said in Deuteronomy 14 again. After talking about tithing, he says, So that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. It is to teach us proper reverence for God. Now, the Pharisees didn't learn the lesson. But I can guarantee you, if you're not a generous person, you haven't learned the lesson of what it really means to revere God either. Because you're not revering Him with your money, with your stuff, with your job, with your career. is to teach us reverence for God. And there are other reasons. Those are just two that are mentioned in those, those passages. And, and I don't want any of us to be like the Pharisees. I don't want us to miss the lessons, and I don't want us to be one-sided. I don't want us to be right on the outside and wrong on the inside. I don't want us to be wrong on the in, right on the inside and wrong on the outside. Why can't we simply be followers of Jesus with our heart, with our lives, in the big things and the little things, on the inside and on the outside? And wouldn't that be a grand way to celebrate Christmas? There was a pastor in a more traditional church who, well, you know, most churches, whether they're a high church, low church, whatever, in terms of worship, have their format. Even if you try to be informal, you still got a structure to it. And most churches, you got music, a little bit of praying, take up the offering, and then preaching, whether the sermon is a 10-minute little devotion or 60-minute teaching lesson, right? That's the, that's the structure, right? So he decided he'd change it up one Sunday morning. Congregation showed up, and <laughs> first thing he did was preach. Then they did some singing and took up the offering. And when he stood up and started speaking, at first people weren't sure what was going on and realized he was, he was into his... Uh, his sermon and a little first grade girl leaned over to her mom and said, doesn't he know we haven't paid him to talk yet? <laughs> because in her mind, makes sense, the offering before the sermon always, what was it? All right, now you're on. We've paid you. Go do it. So why do we give? Why, why, why do we do the little thing of tithing? of being generous, as well as the big thing of loving God and treating people right. Well, it's what we've already said, to learn reverence for God and to recognize His ownership, but it's also, it's also how in the Old Testament and during Jesus' life, the temple and the synagogues and the ministries they did were able to exist. Same thing's true today. And yes, your tithes are paying my salary. Your tithes are paying the salaries of our support staff. Your tithes are paying the salaries of the custodial staff that will come in here this afternoon after we're gone and pick up all the trash we leave behind. Your tithes are paying for the electricity that's running the lights and the heat and in the summer the air conditioning. Your tithes are paying for the bulletin that you're holding so you could read and know what's going on at church. Your tithes pay for all of that. How, how do you think that stuff happens? People who go to church and think, hey, you know, it, it just magically, it doesn't just magically, everything here costs. 
And that's how ministry's always been done. That's how it is still done. It's our way of saying we love him and we have compassion and want to make a difference in people's lives. Some of you have already been to Sunday school. Others of you are getting ready to go to Sunday school. And some of you are going to be really blessed in Sunday school today. You're going to learn something or you're going to be encouraged. Somebody's going to pray for you. You're going to be blessed by being there. It is the tithes of the people in this church that make that room you sit in possible, that chair you sit on possible, the literature you use possible. It makes the room heated and cooled and the lights on. Your Sunday school class is possible because people tithe. And whatever encouragement, whatever learning, whatever happens in your life spiritually through any event, through any process, through any ministry of this church is possible because people are generous. You know, and, and, and when, when I write my tithe check, it may not be like, you know, I'm, I'm back at Thanksgiving in my blog, and I took those turkeys to those two families. You know, it's a different feel, but I'll tell you why. That tithe impacts many more lives because it impacts the life of everybody that comes through any ministry of this church because none of it would be possible without it. In your seat, I want you to take one of these. There's a copy in your seat or the pouch in front of you, this annual report, something new. And um, what we did was just put together some highlights from each of the last 12 months. I hope you'll take this home and read through it. Some of you will be looking for your pictures. Am I in there? Many of you are. But I hope you'll read through this and just celebrate all the ministry that happens in this church. And in a moment, I'm going to explain to you how this connects to the passage we've been studying. And one of the things you'll notice, there's a lot more happens in this church than most of us realize. Much more ministry takes place here than most of us realize. There are things that happen here all the time that only some know about because we're too big for everybody to know about everything. And this is only some of the highlights. If, if, if we put in a book like this, every ministry, everything that's done every month of the church year, this thing would be a big old book. But this will give you an overview of the ministries of this church and the ministries that are made possible because of your tithing. Now, I'm being kind of practical on this, but I want to point something out to you. In May, in May, sort toward the middle of the book, there's a photograph of some uh, police officers, an honor guard, police memorial luncheon. Some of you know this, others don't. Every year for the past several years in May, we host an event here, a luncheon, for all the police officers in this part of South Carolina. And all the officers who've been killed in the line of duty over the years are remembered. And their families are here. And the different police departments present flowers to them. And there's actually a wreath in their honor. And it's a moving service for those officers. We're able to do that because of the tithes that make this room possible, that make the custodial staff that sets it up and serves them and takes it down. All, I, it's, it's, see, giving has practical outcomes. And we're able to love on those families. Just one of hundreds and hundreds 
of examples. Now, what does that have to do with this passage? It's just this. Do you know what that report is? That report is an expression of being right in here and out there. It's, it's an expression of the little, the mint, the rue, the herbs, the tithing, the 10%, which makes all of it possible. But it's also a report on all the treating people right because what's all those ministries, what's all that service, what is it? It's treating people with compassion, saying that that there's a God who cares. It's, it's the marrying together of the big and the small, the inside and the outside, the little, the big, the heart and the service and the compassion. Because all of those ministries, things that people are doing to serve, whether it's serving other believers or serving the community or serving lost people and, and, and the giving that makes it all possible, it's how it all comes together. What I'm trying to say, brothers and sisters, is ministry is how it comes together. Ministry among us as a family of faith and ministry in my daily life and in your daily life as we live in this community and in this world. And, and Jesus was really, he was really frustrated with the Pharisees because they got the little, but they didn't get the big. Let's get them both right. Let's get it all right. Let's be the right, let's be generous people, but not just generous in giving, but generous in serving and impacting people and treating people right. And that includes treating people right who are really messed up doesn't mean we approve of all their choices but it means we treat them with kindness and compassion and love the way Jesus did and does let's get it all right and so if you see someone that's messed up wouldn't it have been so much better 27 years ago, that usher walking down that aisle, rather than publicly in front of the whole church kind of bending over and frowning and staring at that young man? Wouldn't it have been so much better if that usher holding that holy offering plate had walked by and just in his heart whispered a prayer, Jesus, I don't know this young man. I don't know if he knows you or not. I'm glad he's here. Speak to his heart. Wouldn't that have been a much more Christ-like way to deal with it? What kind of follower of Jesus are you and do you want to be? Heart and life. And you see, we put the, the heartbeat on that on purpose because when you get them both right, you're alive. But when one of them is wrong, you're dying. And Jesus wants you to live. Let's stand. Our Father, help us because we acknowledge that in some ways, even though many of us are saved and forgiven, we still struggle in life and are a little bit messed up ourselves. Help us, oh God, to grow 
Help us to grow and be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing this hymn of invitation, you're invited to make your decisions for Christ. Jamie is standing here at the altar. I'll be on this side. We invite you to come and speak to one of us. If you'd like to commit your life to Jesus and become a follower of Christ, if you'd like to join First Baptist or request baptism, come. Or if you just want to kneel at this altar and talk to God about things in your life, the altar is a beautiful place to do that. So let's pray. Let's sing together and you come right now. Oh, my tomorrow.